Thanks for listening to the podcast from Old Town Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Old Town Church is passionate about making disciples for the glory of God in Old Town and around the world by inviting people to know the gospel, experience biblical community, and live on mission. If you're in the Rock Hill area, we invite you to join us for worship every Sunday. If you're not in our area, we encourage you to find a gospel-believing church near you. We hope this podcast is a blessing to you as we seek to follow Jesus and the grace of his gospel. Thanks for listening. Good morning again. My name is Debbie Garrick, and I'm a partner here at Old Town. I'd like for you to join uh, with me following along as I read our sermon scripture, Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Will, I don't want to mess you up too much, but could you go back to the last slide of the song we just sang? Um, The one that says, uh, maybe the one before that one. Yeah, this, yeah, that one. I I just like, as we come in this morning, I just want to acknowledge that for some of us, like these words prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, that this is a place we can with safety say that's a struggle that we have at times, that as we walk through daily life, that there is this like, (laughs) I know what I believe is true. And then like my actual living out of my life, sometimes it's it's very difficult. And so I just want to say there's, there's freedom if you're feeling that this morning. And then ultimately to do what this says, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, that we bring that before the one who actually uh, offers us salvation, offers us hope and offers us the endurance to walk through our days. So, um, Welcome. My name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here at Old Town Church. And, and really, uh, one of the things I want to start by this morning, you can take that off now, Will, but thank you. Um, uh, there is a, another church plant in our area uh, called City Hope Church. Um, it's right over on North Anderson. Right now they're meeting in um, the Forte Legato building where that coffee shop is. Uh, they've been around for about 10 months now as, as a faith family. Um, uh, Pastor Ben Wynn is, is a friend of mine and uh, just someone I've gotten to know through this church planning journey of, of being in Rock Hill together. And uh, we're so thankful to have a, a number of gospel-centered churches here in our city. And we think that's a, a valuable thing uh, to be supported. And so uh, as a faith family, what I want us to do, I just want to stop for a minute. We're going to pray for City Hope Church. Um, one thing going on with them, um, uh, they have a significant ministry influence at Haven's Men's Shelter, which is fun because we're, we're over there too. And so uh, they do a lot of ministry with the men over there. Um, and there is uh, a possibility for a facility for them. They're just praying for that. Like, Lord, would you provide this for us? And so uh, that's something that we can specifically provide for them. But just that as a as a faith family that they could um, just, uh, one of their desires to see the city transformed by the hope of the gospel one life at a time. And so let's just pray for City Hope Church this morning uh, as a faith family. Uh, Father, we lift up our brothers and sisters who are at this time also gathering. 
And so we are united with them in the gospel. And we're thankful for them. And God, we pray for the health of that church, for the unity of that church. I pray that the individual members would even just be encouraged by the proclamation of your word today as they gather and they sing. And uh, Father, we just pray for a facility that's more permanent for them to, to call home. Um, God, would you help them with that? Would you provide what they need? We know that you will provide. And so, Lord, we, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do in establishing that church for your glory. And, and God, I just pray uh, for them and their ministry of Haven's Men's Shelter, God, that um, as they fold these men into uh, the life of their church, God, would you uh, just do great gospel work in, in, in that community? Um, God, I pray for uh, the leadership team over there and just that you would protect them from the attacks of the enemy. And God, help them to lead out as, as models of who you are. And so, um, God, thank you for a city that has a number of gospel-centered churches. God, maybe steward those relationships for your glory, uh, not for our own territories, but God, for your name to be lifted high in Rock Hill. God, we, we thank you for it. That's in your great mighty name we pray. Amen. Um, one thing, uh, and we'll announce this more in the future, like I said, a number of gospel-centered churches in our community. Uh, one thing, coming up the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, there's actually a joint worship service with a number of churches uh, that we'll be advertising to you guys. So just if you want to mark your calendars for Tuesday of Thanksgiving week, um, just a bunch of churches getting together and just saying, hey, we all believe the gospel, let's just celebrate together. And so something to, to mark your calendars for. Um, so... Here's the deal. I'm a Clemson football fan. It's hard to say that this morning. All right, had a tough night last night. Some of you don't know because you didn't stay up till past midnight watching a terrible double overtime game. Uh, but that's not what I'm gonna talk about this morning. When I was in college, uh, we were terrible. <laughs> then too. So we're, it's about the same. And um, so, uh, but when I was in college as a freshman, uh, it was like, man, our team is on the up and up. We, we got six wins that season. We were like, whoa, here it comes. All right. And, uh, and that next year, there's a lot of hope in our football team. And there's a little team called Florida State down in Tallahassee that was, had the eventual Heisman Trophy winning quarterback and the number one team in the nation. And so I was like, this is my time to go see uh, them on their own turf. So me and a group of friends, got our all orange on. Uh, there was orange overalls involved. I won't lie about it. And, uh, and we, we drove down to Florida State, uh, went to that game. Clemson goes up seven to nothing. And we're like, oh, we're going to pour it on them. Here we go. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a little naive uh, pretty early in the game. Um, and they won 56 to seven. So, uh, but but the, the point is, like, I'm in this enemy territory, right? All this maroon and gold. I mean, they're just, they have these, guys, these fans who paint themselves with maroon and gold glitter. I mean, they just, they stand out like that. And we're this tiny little group of orange in this sea of maroon and gold. We just stood out like a sore thumb, which made us easy targets as the game went on. Because uh, they could find us easily and taunt us for a very long time. Uh, but we stood out. And, and that's the point. That's what I, when I think about even our scripture today, I remember that moment of feeling like everyone knows I'm a Clemson fan because I came here dressed in all bright orange. There's no hiding it uh, any longer. And, and today we're going to see in Philippians chapter 2 that actually as believers in Jesus Christ, that's something that we are called to in a work that God does for his glory in our lives. And so uh, if you'll turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 18, and here's our, our big idea for today. That the gospel is advanced as we live dependently on God to transform our daily lives. All right. The gospel is advanced as we live dependently on God to transform 
our daily lives. Now, we have to remain in the context of this passage, okay? We cannot just read these seven verses on their own and not remember where they came from, that these verses are in the midst of the section where Paul is talking about the advancement of the gospel. And so we have to read these verses in light of Paul saying, hey, we need to advance the gospel and here's how. Paul was calling them to live sacrificially. He was calling them to live dependently on Christ He was calling them to pursue unity with one another, to pursue humility with Christ as our ultimate example. That's what we talked about last week. And so as we study this passage today, uh, what we want to do is understand it in light of its greater context, the advancement of the gospel. Uh, But that applies to us both personally and corporately. All right, so there's going to be a personal application for us. There's also a corporate responsibility that we bear as we study this scripture. So uh, that's where we're at, Philippians 2, 12 through 18. And here's our first point, that we advance the gospel by living in accordance with who we already are in Christ. I just like, this is an important sentence, all right? I worked really hard trying to craft it, and this is like the seventh iteration, and I'll probably think of a better way later on today. But we advance the gospel by living in accordance with who we already are in Christ. And I'll explain this more, but let's read verses 12 and 13. It says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure." Uh, The very first word here is therefore, and whenever you see a therefore, you ask, what's it therefore, right? And so we look back on the the previous verses and we see that it was this whole section on Christ and who Christ is, what we talked about last week, this wonderful passage of uh, this model of Jesus Christ, the ultimate servant. And so Paul is connecting what he's going to say today back to who Christ is, because that's the only place that this can actually be lived out. And so the call is to live out what Jesus lived out. He's our model. He's the type of life that we should pursue. Uh, someone who's obedient to the Father, someone who is the ultimate sign of humility, someone who displayed self-sacrifice, one with a great care for others above self. As Christ obeyed, so should you also obey. And since Christ is Lord, that's where we ended last week. Since Christ is Lord, he is the one that we should obey. And so Paul says, therefore, work out your salvation. All right. Now, this is uh, in essence saying live in consistency with your salvation. It's a similar phrase to one we studied last week to live a life worthy of the gospel. It's this idea of a daily surrender to the obedience to Christ. That in your your daily life, that you're surrendering yourself to obey Christ, to to work out our salvation is to strive to live in accordance with our salvation, to to live as someone who's been miraculously saved by the gospel. Now, it's the opposite of being a hypocrite, all right? So a hypocrite is someone who says, uh, you know, I believe this, I am this, and then does something else. So that'd be like me at the Florida State game in my all orange cheering for Florida State, right? Like that wouldn't make sense. I'd be... presenting as a Clemson fan, but doing something else. I'm cheering for another team. That would be a hypocrite. This verse is charging us, don't be a hypocrite. All right, live in accordance with, with the gospel. It's, it's, it's this idea of just be who you are. 
Be who you are. You have been saved by God Almighty through the sacrifice of his son. Church, be who you are. You are forgiven. You're redeemed. You're restored. Be who you are. You are whole. You are counted righteous. You are loved. Be who you are. You are a child of the most high God, a son or a daughter of God Almighty. You are his child. And so be who you are. You are his. But you are still on this earth, and we understand we have this body of sin, the one that's prone to wander and leave the God that we love. All right, and so pursue a life that more and more aligns with who you already are now. Positionally, you are righteous. Positionally, you have been saved by grace. Now, pursue practically to live out that truth in everyday life. This is what it means to work out your salvation. Pursue being who you already are in Christ. Now, uh, I just have to make sure we're clear on one thing. As we talk about working out your salvation, it's not saying work for your salvation. So just gospel clarity for us this morning that our obedience to God's commands does not secure our salvation. And so you can obey all day long and it does not make you more saved. It doesn't, not make, you, it doesn't make you any saved, all right? Our obedience to God's commands does not secure our salvation. It certainly does, though, confirm our salvation. It's, a, it's a evidence. It's a display of who we already are in him. You have nothing to earn. Christ earned all of it for you already. You did nothing to earn your salvation. we got to remember this so they won't try and, like, earn it more or prove that we deserved it or anything like that. Like, he has done all of that work. And now be who you are. Walk in the light of that truth. And it says, with fear and trembling. Now, this isn't a call for you to be terrified of God, though you have right reason to be, um, right? It's not a call to be terrified of him, but it's this idea that as we are pursuing to live this life out, we do it in great reverence and respect and an acknowledgement of who he is, what his character is, a great reverence for his perfect holiness. And so we, we pursue living in light of who we already are in Christ out of great respect and reverence for God Almighty. Now, this is me. I get overwhelmed in this moment. Like this is this like, okay, live this out. Just be like Jesus. No pressure. All right. Live exactly like Jesus, you know, and I'm like, I can't do that. Like I'm going to, I'm going to fail. Like I can't actually accomplish all of that. And so I can either go one of two directions. I can be really overwhelmed or I can just quit altogether and not do anything. Um, and I don't think either of those are the call. Here's the beauty of it today. Paul doesn't leave us hanging there. The scripture doesn't leave us hanging there saying, just be like Jesus. Good luck with that. All right. The truth is, and what Paul tells us in verse 13 is that for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God works in us. We can work out our salvation because God is working in us already. He is doing that internal work in us. It says to will and to work. When he talks about our will, he is doing this internal work in us that is changing our will. He's changing our desires, the things that we want. He's rewriting what we want, what we long for, doing that internal work that produces the external behaviors, to will and to work. That word work is this, this word for activity and energy. That he is actually the one giving us the strength and the endurance to actually pursue what he's calling us to. And so as he tells us to work out our salvation, the beautiful news is, is that he is working in us already to change what we desire because we are prone to wonder, 
and to actually give us the energy and the endurance to live that out in our lives. It's a work that he does. We are called to work out our salvation, but we are reminded that God is completely involved in this effort, empowering us to do it for his good pleasure. Now, church, I need to challenge us for a moment here. Don't confuse dependence on God with passivity. All right? There should be no such thing as a passive Christian. When we say Jesus is Lord, that word Lord in Scripture, the majority of the time is this word for master. It's, the, it's this word that means you are the owner and possessor and disposer of. So when we say Jesus is Lord, what we're saying is you own me. You can possess and dispose of me as you like. You are my master. I will do what you say. And so we say Jesus is master. Now, here's the reality. Jesus is either master of your life or he is not. There is no real in-between of that. And so you are either stewarding your life towards him imperfectly, okay, imperfectly, or you are stewarding your life for yourself. There is one master. It's either him or yourself. If your Christian faith is not causing you to reorient your entire life in submission to the will of God, then I think it's worth asking you what it is that you actually believe. And I'm not here this morning to try and cause some like fear, am I saved or am I not? I think there's just this reality that we live in a culture, particularly here in the South. I mean, like I said, tons of churches in Rock Hill where the idea of religion is this cultural value that we have. And so what I really want to do here this morning is cut against that and say, is Jesus your master? Is there, is there a realm in which your entire life is actually oriented around submission to him as your master? And if not, I think there's just questions you need to ask. doesn't mean you're not saved, but I think you need to go to him and say, can you help me with this? Because if there's this part of your life reserved for just you and part of your life that you give just to him, like I'll give you my Sundays, maybe some occasional Wednesday nights, a little bit of my, a little bit of my money, but the rest of it, this is mine then we have to ask ourselves who is actually our master. Here is the reality. First of all, I'm not trying to put a burden of shame on you, a, a burden of performance or legalism. That's the difficulty in a passage like this. That's not what the passage is teaching. If you walk out of here with that, then we've, we've missed it in some way. That's not what this is teaching here. But it is true of Scripture that God does call us to obedience to him. And so we have to reconcile that in some way, that we are called to a radical obedience and a reorienting of our entire life around him. That's what it is to work out our salvation. We are an active participant in our sanctification, laboring towards obedience as the Spirit empowers us to obey. We are working out what he is working in. And I, I, I struggle with this. I'm just going to tell you, like, I'm a legalist at heart, all right? And so I hear everything in Scripture as this command I have to do or God does not love me anymore. That's just how I operate. It's not right. The Lord's fixing that in me. That's part of my sanctification. But there's this verse in Colossians that has always helped me understand a passage like this. And so uh, Colossians 1.29 that we're going to throw on the screen yeah. um, is this. Paul says this, For this I toil struggling, this phrase right here, listen to this phrase, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. It's this, 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 this partnership that God invites us into where we, we labor and we toil and we struggle with all of 
his energy. He is the one working in us. He is the one enabling us. He is the one changing our desires internally. And so we are laboring with all of his energy. It's gospel partnership that he invites us into. And so if you think about like, what, what does it mean to work out my salvation with fear and trembling in daily life? Just think of these three words together, daily empowered obedience. That there is just this daily moment by moment, empowered obedience. He's called us to it, but he gives us everything we need to do it. And that's the, the beauty of a relationship with Jesus. He doesn't just call us to this and be like, go do it. And if you don't, you're in trouble. He's like, I'm with you. I'm gonna give my spirit to you to walk you through this. And so we advance the gospel by living in accordance with who we already are in Christ. This is who you are already. He's not calling you to be something you're not. He's calling you to walk more in light of who he is making you to be. Point number two, we advance the gospel by living as countercultural examples of Christ. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast, verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. All right. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And all the parents in the room said, amen, right? Okay, here we go. Kids, this is like... Parents, this is like the verse parents are always like, honor your father and mother and do all things without grumbling or complaining, right? Like this is, just tuck this one away. Memorize this one, use that all the time, uh, but not so fast, parents, all right? It's not just for your kids. It's not just for you to bear on other people. This one's for you as well. It's for all of us. And so I just want us to remember what was going on in the life of the Philippians. What was going on in Paul's life? Paul's writing from prison. The Philippians are experiencing persecution from the outside and conflict from the inside. And Paul charges them in the midst of this to do all things without grumbling or complaining. Complaining is a temptation for all of us uh, anytime things aren't going well or, or they're not going the way we want them to, right? Like we have this temptation, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to complain about that. I'm, I'm going to grumble about that. And so I want to examine complaining from two different angles this morning, uh, first personally and then corporately. As, as a body, uh, personally, just to ask, like, why do we complain? Like, what's, what's behind why you complain about something, all right? And I, and I think ultimately complaining is an outward expression of a lack of contentedness, that you lack content, you're not content in something, and so you complain about it. When we're not content with our circumstances, our discontent turns to complaining. So, I'll use the football example again, uh, fan, a, a football fan base here, right? Like when, when they are, when uh, uh, Clemson fans right now, there's a lot of grumbling and complaining, right? Like things aren't going our way. We're not content with the program. And so you complain. Uh, this happens in so many other realms of life, right? Like when, when things are, when your company is winning, when the, when the, the bottom line is, woo, 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 we're just going up, all this profit, all this, everybody's like, woo, yay. And then when, when things start to diminish, there's grumbling, there's complaining. It starts internally, it goes to the whole organization. So the question is this, what is feeding our discontent? Now, I want to stop you really quick. You need to right now think about yourself. All right, don't think about someone else. Yeah, I noticed so-and-so, they get discontent when this happens. Like, 
You need to actually personally right now let the scripture apply to you. What is feeding your discontent? Is it selfishness? I didn't get something that I wanted. You know, what I have is not enough. I just, I need more. I want more. Or my situation's not fair. I I deserve better than this. I, I shouldn't be treated this way. Or I'm not being appreciated appropriately for the work that I'm doing. I'm doing all this work and I'm just not being appreciated. Or maybe it's just this short-sightedness of forgetting what you have already been blessed with. Well, the opposite of complaining, as I've said, is contentedness. Now, contentedness is not actually having everything. It's not getting everything that you actually want, but it's trusting the Lord that you have all that you need in and through him. Church, he has given you himself, all of him. Primarily, contentedness comes from knowing that in Jesus Christ, you have way more than you deserve. And so if discontent is not having what you think you deserve, I'm here to tell you that you can be content to its maximum because you have been given way more than you actually deserve. What you deserve is the judgment of God on you for all of eternity for your sin. But what you gave, what he gave you was himself. He gave you way more that you deserve. We deserve that eternal punishment, but in Christ we were met with grace and forgiveness. And this is why we can say he is all we need. That we can actually be content and rest in him in that way. Our complaining can often be traced to forgetting the great bounty of blessing that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the gospel alone helps develop in us a peaceful contentment that prevents complaining. Now, that's the personal side. Now, the corporate side, Paul is writing, as I said, to a church who had an internal brewing conflict. He's going to continue to address it uh, along the way. And so this is a call not to grumble or complain, not just, uh, you know, a person in charge, but also a corporate challenge to face that internal strife. In this faith family, we're going to face challenges. We're going to be tempted to complain and grumble against one another. We're going to fail one another. If you have not experienced it yet, if you're newer here, give us time, okay? We will fail you, okay? And that's just true. That's true of any room you walk into ever, all right? And so uh, that's why I want to lead with like, we are prone to wonder. Like, I don't want to present this thing, but like, hey, everyone's got it all together this morning. Like, you walked in with a bunch of stuff going on in your life. That's just true, all right? And so we're, we're going to hurt one another. We're going to fail one another, sin against one another, annoy one another. It might not even be sin. It might just be annoying, you know? We're going to let one another down. We're going to disappoint one another. And that always sounds fine in a moment like this, when you're like, yeah, that's probably true. That probably will happen. It's different when it's happening. When you actually have to walk through that. Like we talk about it in theory, But then when you're actually walking through it in the life of this church, how will you respond when you feel that way about someone in this church, someone in your small group, someone that you're sitting next to, me or one of the other elders? Or how will you respond when that moment actually happens? Because it will. And what will you do with those feelings? So often we have, when we have a problem with someone, we tend to do one of two things. We stew in silence or we complain to someone else, all right? Those are typically our two modes of operation, all right? And doing either of those two things are gonna hurt you and hurt the church as a whole, all right? When we stew in silence, we grow bitter. 
Someone does something, they're bothering us. We don't say anything. We grow, they do it again. We get bitter. Like, why haven't they changed? We, and we just sit there and this thing starts to pile up and build and build and build. And we grow resentment towards them. We don't extend grace to them. Or we complain to others. And in doing that, we're gossiping by trying to cause others to think negatively about someone else. Did you, have you ever experienced this with so-and-so? It's like, yeah, let's pray for them. You know, like, I mean, just this, like, we'll, we'll church it up sometimes. And then you have that little side eye with someone. Oh, there they go doing it again. You know what I mean? This is not healthy for us. This is destructive for individuals and for our corporate body. Whenever you are talking to someone about someone else, you've got to ask yourself, am I trying to make this person think negatively of this other person? I just really feel like, what's my motive here? Why am I sharing this with this person? Am I trying to, in some way, get them to think negatively about this person over here? When we do either of these things, we're also robbing the person who offended you of the opportunity for growth. And so if someone has, has sinned against you and you don't bring that before them, you actually are robbing them of an opportunity to see sin in their lives. Or at least at a minimum, wrestle with that before the Lord. You're robbing them of an opportunity for growth. And so if I'm silent to myself or, or I'm telling others but never giving, uh, going directly to that other person, I, I hurt myself, I hurt that person, and I hurt a whole body. And so the gospel helps us see this differently. The gospel reminds us we were shown grace when we didn't deserve it. And so as a faith family, we then get the opportunity to extend grace, to bear with one another, as the scripture says, when we don't deserve it, which that moment will come when we don't deserve it. And so I want to ask you directly this morning, is there a tension that you have with someone in our faith family? If so, how are you handling it? Are you stewing in silence? Are you complaining to others? Are you not extending grace? And so maybe your step this morning is not to go confront someone every time they do something annoying to you, all right? We might have that, this could happen maybe too often, right? But you bring that before the Lord. This is, I feel this growing in me. I have this thing, I, I avoid this person. I like give them the old, <laughs> and then I walk away. You know, like whatever that thing is for you, like bring that before the Lord. Take it to him, Lord, what should I do with this? I, I'm feeling this in myself. What do I do so that we can be, as we've said as, as many times as we can, a people who step into the conflict instead of avoid it. Church is not supposed to be a place where everyone's always happy with each other. Church is a place where a bunch of sinful, at times unhappy people unite in the gospel of Jesus Christ, all right? And so let's walk in light of that. Now, why do we do this? Why, why do we not grumble or complain in everything? Verse 15 gives us that why. It says, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Here is that purpose that we are presented as this countercultural model for the world of what it means to walk with Christ. It says we are children of God. We represent him to the world. Who do we belong to? We have been adopted into the family of God himself. We are his children. He is our father and we belong to him. In contrast, we do not belong to the world. This world is not our home nor our family. And so as we live our lives, we live in allegiance to the one true Father, our true family. We are children 
of God. And so he draws this contrast, this children of God who are without blemish in the midst of a twisted and crooked generation. All right, there is this, this, this character in us that is in line with the change that has happened at our moment of salvation. And again, remember that this is happening for this church in the face of adversity. This wasn't just like when everything's good, you can do this. It's in the presence of suffering, in the middle of strife. This is not a call to avoid grumbling and complaining when everything's going well. You don't really have a reason to complain then. And so this is us, a, a way we work out our salvation, and the result is we shine as lights in the world. It's the result, a, a light in the darkness. The people of God have been transformed by God and thus look differently from the world. We are a counter-cultural model, living differently in the world. Even in our contentedness, in our complaining, in the way that we grumble, in the way that we handle conflict, we display who Jesus is to those around us. And so, a question for you uh, to ask, is your attitude, is your speech, is your contentment, is your gratitude, any of these things, is it different from the world or in line with the world? Is it a light or does it blend in? And I think the beauty of the work that God is doing in us is that he's transforming us, so it's not all on you. He's transforming us to live counterculturally in a way that we do stand out, like the Orange Clemson fan at the Florida State game, that we stand out representing him that we actually show the world this is what it is to walk with Christ. This is who he has. Now, how do we do that? Verse 16, it says, holding fast to the word of life. The word of life, the gospel, the beauty of what Christ has done and purchased for us. We cannot do any of this apart from that work in us. First, we hold fast to the gospel to help us see our circumstances appropriately that we are a people who have been extended grace, that we are a people who have been given way more than we deserved. But second, we hold fast the gospel and hold high the gospel. That in this, the goal for us is not like, I'm gonna not grumble and complain so that people think highly of me. But that as we work out our salvation, that we are holding high the gospel, that we are lifting high the beauty of Christ and what he has done and the joy that is found in him, that our contentment, Church, I'm going to tell you right now, there is no other way that the world will see the beauty of Christ than in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your need, in the midst of your heartache, is when the world is going to see what Christ does in us. So it's not a moment for you to gird yourself up and be strong, but to depend on him even more and let him be the light that shines through you to the world. And so... As we labor in his strength, the gospel is advanced as we live counterculturally as examples of Christ. And then finally, the gospel is advanced as we joyfully sacrifice ourselves for the mission of God. We advance the gospel as we joyfully sacrifice ourselves for the mission of God. Verse 17 and 18, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's talking about pouring himself out as a drink offering. I mean, just think about taking a cup and just literally pouring all 
of it out, the sacrificing of himself, the giving of himself, being completely poured out and empty, an emptiness. And what we saw in verses 6 through 11 in this same chapter is the great model of the one who emptied himself, Christ, who emptied himself for us, taking the form of a servant. So Paul is modeling Jesus's emptiness here, being willing to empty himself. He says, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. He's saying to the Philippians, like, you, because in the context of this letter, Paul's writing to say, thanks, you sent me some money, and it's helped the ministry. All right, that's my, like, shorthand of what's going on here. All right? But the Philippian church, who was a church with not much means, sacrificed, pulled together money, and sent money to Paul to further the gospel advancement among the nations. So Paul writes this letter, amongst other things, to say, thank you for your offering. And so what he's saying here, when he's talking about the sacrificial offering of your faith, he's actually pointing to their own sacrifice that they have made, that he has united with them in that, that they have given to help with that. And so it's something that they did joyfully. They had a rooted conviction and contentment in the gospel that freed them to sacrifice themselves, freed them to sacrifice themselves. That there is a freedom in the gospel for us to give of ourselves without restraint, not holding anything back, because who is the one empowering us? The one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. The one who spoke and things came into existence. And so as the people of God, we don't have to withhold because the one empowering us is the one who created everything and sustains everything. And so we can give sacrificially and joyfully because of the one who has called us to do that. And in that, there's this mutual rejoicing. They aren't sad. They're not doing this with grimacing on their faces. There's a joy to their sacrifice because they know ultimately the purpose is to advance the gospel. So a question for reflection for you. I just keep throwing these out because I, like for me, sometimes I have to ask myself a question in order really to wrestle with something. Do you delight in sacrificing to see the gospel advanced? Do you delight in sacrificing to see the gospel advanced? Is there a joy in your sacrifice? As you serve on one of our serves teams or, or give of your finances to the church or engage in missional opportunities, with a community partner, or just as you live everyday life, whatever it is, uh, is there this joy? Listen, there are many sacrifices that you're making with your time, your energy, your finances. All of these things could be stewarded towards something else, but you were stewarding them, Old Town Church, to the advancement of the gospel. Is that a joyful sacrifice for you? If not, then why? Is there a growing frustration or discontent in your serving. And I just want to like call it like it is sometimes, all right? That, that there are sometimes uh, one of the reasons that we lose our joy in service is because we're serving a church organization or a person as opposed to Jesus. And so our serving is really pointed towards pleasing someone or trying to build an organization. In this case, it would be Old Town Church. We want to build the name of Old Town Church. So I'm giving and I'm sacrificing to build the name of Old Town Church. Or I'm, I'm giving and I'm sacrificing to please like Matthew or someone else in the church. And so if your focus, let's say, in tithing is to try and make Old Town Church better, make Old Town Church great again, then, then, when, then when we frustrate you, you're going to lose joy in that sacrificial giving. 
There's not a joy in it. It's this like, oh, God, okay, write the check again, whatever. There's not a joy in that. But if your giving is ultimately a gift to the Lord that goes to the church, but it's really to him, then no matter what's going on here, ultimately you're just, you're just giving it to him and trusting him to do with it what he wants to do. Or if you're, if you're serving in a, one of our local ministry partners or in OTC Kids or wherever it else, maybe you're just serving in something else in the community. Like if you're doing that to please someone, like so-and-so said I should do this and so I need to do it, like then, then there's this realm in which you're gonna lose the joy of that versus like, no, I will lay my time down in order to build the kingdom of God because it's a sacrifice to my master. Like I'm, I'm thankful to do this because I get to do it for him. Do I always like it? No, sometimes I don't. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we don't, right? But he still is using us in that way. And I'll be honest with you, this happens for me as well. I lose joy in pastoring when I make you my idol. When I want from you what only Christ can give me. And you let me down. No offense, it's because you're people and you're sinful and I do the same thing to you. I try and make you something that can ultimately please me or I can please you and then it all falls apart and I lose joy in pastoring. And the Lord just brings me back like, Matthew, no, like I called you to this. Like suffer and sacrifice and serve because it's for me. And that's what it is for every one of us. That's not just for pastors, that's for all of us. That ultimately we do that for him. And so the joy then is rooted. And so you can suffer through a lot because ultimately he is the one empowering you and he is your prize and your treasure. And it's not any one of us in this room, but we get to do it together, which is really special. And so Paul was encouraging the Philippians that he is glad to be poured out and emptied because it was a sacrifice that Jesus had made for him. And so now he's just modeling Christ in that way. So back to our big idea. The gospel is advanced as we live dependently on God to transform our daily lives. Now, I wanted to end this morning by going back to verse 12 and this one little phrase, this one little phrase that Paul says at the very beginning. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. And, and I, I think about that phrase in Old Town Church I think about you guys, like, I am so thankful to be a part of you that we are in this together because you know what I see? Like, there's this great challenge that Paul is issuing to us. And I see you living this out. Like, with my own eyes, in my own moments, in the conversations that I'm having with you. Like, church, you are walking in this now. And so I just want to encourage you. I see you coming alongside one another in gospel community. I see you pressing one another towards greater dependence on Christ. I, see, I had two people call me this week and confess sin, not because I can't do anything about it. I can't absolve sin. That's not, I don't have that power, right? It's like, I need prayer. Like, I see us confessing sin to one another and just saying, like, I need, I need help. I need Christ. And so we, we pray with one another. I see you trying to learn to go to one another and try to engage conflict so that we can, instead of avoiding it, that we can grow in gospel growth. I see you seeking to be content in Christ, even in seasons of want, even in seasons of suffering, seasons of struggle. Church, I see you sacrificially, joyfully serving one another. 
There are people holding babies that never wanted to hold a baby, but they do it because they love you and they're safe and background checked. I see you give of your time, of your finances, and your energy to one another, to the people in this room, not to some nameless person, but to these people, Old Town Church. In the same way that Paul called you to this, I now say to you too, as you have always obeyed, so now work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Keep pressing in. If you're new, I cry. Keep depending on him. Keep leaning into him. Keep following him and not our culture. We are to stand out, and that makes it harder. Hold fast to the gospel. Rejoice in Christ. And may the gospel of Jesus Christ be advanced in you, in our church, and in Rock Hill for the glory of God. Let me pray for you. Father, we need you because we are prone to wonder and you saved us anyway you knew we were prone to wonder and you laid yourself down for us and god you have given us your spirit to draw us to yourself and so we as a church come to you and say help us work out our salvation with fear and trembling for your glory in this church and in this city so God, help us, please. In your name we pray. Amen.